Hello, Nick. G'day, Tom. How are we doing? I'm really good. How are you? I am good. That's good. Uh, what are we What are we talking about today? Today we are talking about accessibility here on Divine, a podcast where we talk about all things divine, uh, design and development in the web space. Um, yeah, good one. Introduce the podcast. Yeah, there we go. Introduce the podcast. <laughs> hey, at least I got the name right this time. I've fucked that up before. Um, <laughs> so I'm Nick. I run a digital agency in Melbourne. And as always, we are with Tom as well. Hello, and I'm a branding-focused designer also working out of Melbourne. Out of the now unrestricted Melbourne in an office as opposed to in a closet. Well, let's say the less restricted. Let's not say completely unrestricted, yeah, but sorry. still, no, but still very much enjoying. Yeah, nice in, enjoying being able to be around humans. That's always a plus. Oh yeah. Okay, so accessibility. Um, so when we're talking about accessibility what, in the web space, I guess, what do we actually? What, what do we? What do we mean? What are we going to cover, or what do we mean, or what do, what do other people mean? Yeah, well, I guess we should start super broad. Mm. Um, in preparing for this episode, um, I guess I continued to realise just how um, huge this topic is. Um, yeah, how deep it is for sure. So, yeah, I, I guess we're looking at it through the lens of um, making digital experiences accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and within that, like, what are some of the things that make a website accessible or not? I guess we need to think about the people using it. Um, mm-hmm. So I can I can see you've got some notes on, um, you know, it, it's not just permanent visual disabilities. Yeah, Do I thought that was something really interesting because like yourself, like I, I did a bunch of research for this topic. Um, it's something that I'm not too well versed in. Um, or not certainly not deep down the rabbit hole, um, but yeah. So doing some reading, it was really interesting how one of the one of the key parts is like it's not just people with permanent disabilities, um, yeah. but there's all sorts of other disabilities or impairments that could be um, non-permanent, or they could even be in relation to environment. So some of the things, um, well, I guess, some of the more permanent um, disabilities could be around um, auditory, cognitive, neurological, etc., stuff like that, physical disabilities, um, but also environmentally stuff like even something as simple as like being outside where there's like light or on your screen like that that's a massive factor as well and as you address these sort of more um uh, permanent sort of disability issues or and trying to make things accessible for them you're actually improving the experience for a lot of other um situations as well which i thought was really interesting so sort of keeping that in the back of your mind um i think it's probably helpful as well yeah it's interesting on that um that point you made about environment and kind of observing how even like my laptop screen adapts to the lighting yeah um, for sure and like you know the the desktop as well but it it, it can also be quite frustrating if you're trying to get something done in the back seat of a car because the lighting's <laughs> always changing it's like seriously just keep that brightness up in the uber on the way to the office <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's happened before for sure um, so I guess that's what accessibility is. So whose responsibility is it to try and make things more accessible, would you say? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's everyone that's involved with the website. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly designers, um, writers, developers. I mean, it, it's, it's the whole thing, right? Um, but I, I might be starting on, you know too granular a level if I'm talking about 
you know, the team that's executing a website, like maybe yeah. it, we can zoom out a bit. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, part of inclusivity, um, I, I guess that's what the accessibility is aiming towards, right, is inclusivity almost in a way. Um, and I think though that like the approaches or the, the approach needs to come from higher up. There needs to be like a managerial and an organisational and a governmental sort of angle for all these things. And, and while, you know, individuals do need to take responsibility for it as well on your day-to-day job as a designer or a developer, um, you know, the push the lead needs to come from above as well for sure um and one other thing i was thinking as well is it where, where does your client fit into that where's the responsibility fall upon them and fall upon you as a as a agency or somebody that runs an agency or like you know how, how do you sort of um walk that line i wonder if it's because i think quite often it's probably not too important to say hey we need to spend a whole mu- uh, bunch more money on this project to make it more accessible i suspect that the majority of clients probably don't see the value in that Mm. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Like, I guess the more I reflect upon it, the more I, I think it's like a it's a, a responsibility that we all have to be more aware of of certain things. Like, mm-hmm. um, without without realizing, you know, creating a a website that's you know discriminatory yeah. um, in the sense that it excludes entire audiences. And it so, almost needs to be, like, baked into the process, right? Like, we shouldn't think of it as some additional component. It should be a necessary baked-in part that is just part of day-to-day. Yeah, for sure. And, I, I, I mean, I think we decided on this as a subject for a podcast because it is something that I need to learn more about. And even in doing this research, it's like, okay, cool. So, like, I've found some toolkits, yep. some things to um, draw upon, which we'll, we'll go into shortly. Um, yeah. You know that that a that a, a writer can can use to make the language more inclusive. That a designer can use to make sure that it's not just completely eliminating people with color blindness yeah. of of any variety. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think um, it might be worth, I guess, zooming in a little and talking about what some of these um, tools might be. Yeah, yeah, and I think the important part for me about this stuff is, or at least what I try and do is at least like trying to grab the low-hanging fruit as much as possible. You know, we want to try and widen this net of inclusivity as far as we can with the limited resources that we have. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's the low-hanging fruit, right, that are the important parts at least. And and obviously being aware of all the other pieces. Um, Yeah, it's like like, what's what's step one? If 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 nothing is being done at the moment by myself or yourself just like hypothetically what's the first what's the first thing we can do to start yeah, moving it. in the right direction cool well do you want to start with use considering that's probably earlier in the process yeah well i think i think some of the some of the things that really stood out to me was just like inclusive language and terms mm-hmm. um so even just like gender pronouns in in yeah. in copy um but also specifically in australia like how we speak about um, indigenous peoples and yeah, yeah. and making sure that we're acknowledging the the, the land that um, work is taking place on. Yeah, yeah, and not whitewashing um, the history. That's yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, that I think that's an interesting one. Is mm-hmm. like um, the the tone of voice that copy takes. Like we speak so much about you know target audience. 
yeah. um, but there's like this this balancing act with like making sure that it's not um, you know ridden with all these assumptions and, and pot- potentially like um, bias um, yeah, yeah for sure and yeah and that's definitely um, I guess in, in general like this whole conversation um, is trying to you know recognise those biases that we have as um, privileged white men at least us two um, and yeah. trying to sort of unlearn those biases right and that that takes place in all parts of life and we can definitely do that in our jobs as well yeah um, for sure so I, I mean this is simply touching on it and, and we'll include some some resources um, for further reading on um, how language can be more inclusive um, but I might move along to like some of the the visual aspects mm-hmm. yeah, cool. um, so one whole category there is color yep. so I mean, a simple detail which kind of stood out to me was not relying solely on colour to convey meaning. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, A simple example being like, you know, if there's a a form on a website and a particular field is required rather than just like um, having... red. Yeah, having a red border or... Well, yeah, there's an asterisk that's both red and an asterisk which means that it's required. Um, so, I mean, that's a really simple one. Um, but that's, that's the thing. Like, that's a low-hanging fruit that we should be doing, like, by default, you know? That's yeah. a really good example. Yeah, and I remember going through, a, like, a prototype review um, when I was studying earlier in the year, and uh, the woman that was reviewing the prototype said to me, she's like, how do I know that this is a required field, you right. know? Yeah. Um, and it was that same lesson, you know, mm-hmm. needed to be a coloured asterisk. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's also there's there's a um, I'm not sure if you've heard about the band Pokemon episode. I think I might have heard about that. Yeah, what was the details? Well, it, it was just like flashing red and blue color. They right. wanted to, to to recreate some kind of experience, but it hospital hospitalized like 700 children, Jeez. gave them seizures. So I think this is also like touching on where. <laughs> Uh, misusing colour can get you into quite a bit of trouble. <laughs> quite a bit of trouble. Hospitalisation, yeah, that is yeah. intense. Hospi- Hospitalising children, I guess my point is that... When, if your website ever does that, you need to review your accessibility <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> we're, we're playing with fire here, you know. Um, another... Oh, so this was huge for me, right? This, this I had no idea about. Mm. Um, which which certainly illustrates my kind of ignorance, but um, focus indicators, yeah, yeah, uh, being like those kind of slightly blurred blue mm-hmm. um, boxes around everything on on the site, yep. every kind of um, element, mm-hmm. serve a purpose. They allow um, you to navigate through every element on the site using the tab key, right? Yeah, um, and. <laughs> I just remove those styles. A hundred percent. Yeah, look. Because I was like, that, that's gross. I hate these base styles. Like, they're so annoying. I don't know why they're there. Yeah. I've just read this. None. <laughs> yeah, I've, re- I've read this article. I'm like, oh, my God. I've just excluded, Sorts. like, so many people because I didn't know that this was here for a reason. Yeah, for sure. Um, and um, and I've been guilty of that in the past as well until I found a really cool solution for this, which is you hide it. Um so just you could just set like a in general you set a rule where the outline is none 
but as any time the tab key is hit, you add a class to the body, which is like show outlines, which then undoes that outline removal. I so that as sick. soon as people are starting to use tab, which who might need to see that thing moving around, then you can see it, but otherwise it's not shown. So I don't know how best practice that is. Um, I'd be keen to hear, but um, that seems to almost solve sort of both of those. Yeah, well, I guess another thing that came from it was that, okay, this is an opportunity to design these um, focus indicators. For sure, yeah, cool. You know, it's like, okay, so this is a detail that needs to be part of the brand identity. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like we, we have button styles, we have link styles, and now we have focus indicator styles, you know. Yeah, 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 really cool. Yeah, so, that, I mean, that was a it's, a, it's a small detail, but the implications are quite large. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so one of the bigger... Uh, the biggest things that we do as devs for color, um, or at least that I look for, is the contrast ratios of things, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and there's heaps of tools out there. Um, we'll put one in the references here, but uh, and I'll just you know scan a website and see, um, yeah, if there's enough contrast between your your body copy and your backgrounds and, and stuff like that. Um, I think those tools generally as well take into account the size of your text. Um, and there's you know there's um, Oh, and talking about um, WCAG or CAG 2.0 in the lingo, <laughs> CAG 2.0. Um, and what is that? Just so yeah, let's those. talk about that for a second. So that's like a um, a specification of accessibility. So it stands for Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. I, was, I think I'm not exactly sure who it's published by, but it'll be some sort of um, regulatory body, I suspect. Um, and they just list all like it's a, it's a massive document of you know ways to ensure that um you pass these standards basically um, and there's different levels of it so there's like a double a AA, and triple a um and you know as you as you get sort of more and more um, intense with it then the requirements become harder and um yeah so it's just a good reference guide um, i don't think i've ever actually read the document itself because it's so intense and so technical and so detailed um, I've definitely, you know, used other resources or blogs, blogs or articles or whatever to figure out, um, again, the low-hanging fruit probably. Um, but for projects like government projects, a lot of the time um, they're required by law to adhere to CAG 2.0. Um, various government institutions need that. Um, and I think, yeah, some of the other big corporations will, will do that as well. Yeah. It's. I, I feel like I was reading that in the states, it's a bit more prominent with websites. But oh, really? I mean, okay. Yeah, I, I could be making that up. So yeah, I don't know. That, that's that's helpful for the conversation. Rumors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I want to ask you about probably your favorite word in. Oh my god! I, in the world. I need to get the buzzer out. We still haven't got a buzzer. I need to make one. <laughs> Semantics. Semantics. <laughs> okay, so what, what role does that play in accessibility? Cool. So this is, I guess, moving into the dev, the more Debbie side of things. So semantics in this context is meaning using the right, well, basically, is meaning to use the right HTML elements um, for their purpose. So as an example, like if you need to click on something, it's going to take you somewhere. It should be an A tag, like a link, right? It should be a link. It shouldn't be a div which you've added some JavaScript to which then changes the window location. So trying to use HTML elements for their purpose. So one of the big things is when you're designing interfaces that have quite a bit of interactivity, so it might be the um, like the, the podcast player on the divine.tech website. So we host all, we put all our podcasts up there as well. So if you want to um, grab the resources or read something about us, um, go to divine.tech. Little plug. 
yeah, so building that player there, um, you know, the there's like the back buttons and the play and the pause button and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they, you know, don't typically look like a quote-unquote button like you might be um, used to. And as we all know, buttons have like their own default styles and all the browsers and they look fugly as and whatever. Um, but you still want to use the button element for all those quote-unquote buttons so that people know... Um, especially screen readers um, hmm. know that those things are buttons and can be clicked um, and they should have some text in them or some alt text or maybe some aria roles which I'll get into in a minute um, so that people know what those buttons are going to do so as an example if you've got a button and inside it's just an SVG with like the rewind logo somebody that's using a screen reader is not going to know what that button is because they're not, you can't read the SVG content in there right um, or if it was an image or whatever um, so you also need to tell people um, in, in the HTML there what that button is going to do or what it's about or, or whatever um, but yeah so certainly trying to just keep things semantic in your HTML you know that's I, I should get that written on my tombstone probably shouldn't I <laughs> yeah and, and I guess like a, another way of putting it is that you know HTML it, it's like a, a way of organising information it's a structure that's been thought through like in for sure it's been given a lot of consideration mm-hmm. and it's pretty much the the advice is to pay attention to how this information has been structured because if you ignore things or use like divs in excess for example or like the wrong pieces or you use the pieces in a way that doesn't logically make sense then it's going to be much harder for like screen readers to interpret the site right yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah that's a really good point um, and yeah, that sort of yeah. It, the HTML is a language that, um, you know, it's a like you said, it's a document sort of structure and, and definition of, of stuff, and that should be accurate as much as possible. And so yeah, and that helps all sorts of things. Um, not just screen readers, but yeah, but lots of other accessibility things. Um, yeah, cool. Um, so yeah, one of the other things I touched on there was ARIA. So ARIA. Yeah stands for Accessible Rich Internet Applications. I've never heard that expanded like that before. But ARIA, as, as at least as a developer, um, allows you to add attributes onto HTML elements to help describe them a little bit better. Right. Um, so an example will be um, if you've got like a like a FAQ section or whatever and, and they're all like collapsed, you know, and you click the button and then it expands the answer to the FAQ. There's ARIA roles or ARIA um, attributes you can put on the HTML to describe that um, all those pieces are, are collapsed and one of them's not collapsed. Right. So that, um, yeah, so even that sort of, you know, visual design will come across in the HTML as well for screen readers to understand. Yeah, cool. Um, I think that's that's probably a nice segue to um, alt text. Um, mm-hmm. Something that sounds quite simple, but the implications are pretty huge. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is essentially just a text description for every visual element. Yep. Um, which which allows vision-impaired people to still understand what's happening. Um, this is probably something that I've underestimated the importance of significantly, at least at the start of my journey. Um, yep. But something so simple as, as putting the, the description in as an image is uploaded can make the whole difference. 100%, yeah, that's such a good way to go about it. Um, and interestingly, that that ties into what I was saying before about things that aren't um, disabilities as such, but are environmental. So 
An environmental example can be when you've got really slow internet, the images might not load, and it actually loads the alt text instead of the image. Yeah, so right. that's an example there where they're helpful in that scenario as well, for sure. Yeah, um, and and on alt text, you know, well, okay, what if it's a decorative image? Um, it was it was kind of cool to to read this because it has found its way into my practice mm-hmm. sometimes, um, which is that if it's a decorative image, um, you reference it in the CSS rather than the HTML. Yeah, okay, that's a really interesting idea. Um, like a you know background image, for example. Yep, yep, yep. Um, rather than the HTML code. Yeah, that's cool. So I guess it cleans out the HTML more so and leaves the styles in the style area. And Yeah, it suggests to keep the alt um, text description blank. Yeah, I, I think these are... The, and there's, there's a particular article, which we'll include as well, um, which I found to be the most digestible, I guess, of the, the various things that I read through. It's just like seven tips... Um, it's from a design perspective, so we'll include the other things also. But just like seven tips for making a, a web design more accessible, th- these points are coming from there in part. Yeah, nice. Mm-hmm. Um, one little thing that's like a quick win, which we would have mentioned probably on the typography episode, but, you know, uh, I think it's time to talk type. Oh, here we go. It's just line length, so that means like the, the width of a line of text um, so the WCAG says a maximum of 80 characters on yeah, a okay. line mm-hmm. um, and a pretty simple way of achieving that is um, setting like a maximum width to the container within which the the text um, appears I guess you could figure out a ratio um, yeah but the, the times that I've done it I've just done it by eye to yeah. see roughly based on the point size but I think if you wanted to really geek out on it there are ratios that exist based on like the type size and the relative units yeah 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 no yeah, I'm the same way I've, I've only just done it sort of by eye and read it and yeah and that's yeah definitely something to um, always include as a dev um, and especially you know these days when you need to be developing for all screen sizes um you know, depending what the design is, it might not necessarily be clear that a piece of copy will um, end up stretching out more in the designs, for instance. Yep. Um, but yeah, definitely something that you'll need to take into consideration every time you're putting content, especially from like um, if your copy's not hard coded and it's coming from a CMS or something. People are yeah. really good at putting 35 paragraphs in the spot where you want like half a line of copy. Yeah, I mean, that's been a great kind of learning experience, I think, seeing clients. Um, uploading content just as they would Um, I mean you and I work a lot in WordPress Um, I almost exclusively develop with WordPress Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah like the the WYSIWYG text editors um, just seeing like things dropped in there and it's like oh okay I need to go back and (laughs) control how these things appear you know it might be bullet points or it might be you know I just realised, okay, H4, I don't have a style for, for that, and but it can still be used within the, the client side. Yeah, 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 totally, yeah. And part of that, I think, is um, trying to make sure that what the clients are seeing when they're putting the copy in their editor, trying to make that look as similar as it's going to look on the front end as well. 
so you can actually use some of the styles that you use on the front end and import them into the back end so that when they're typing in you know h1 or p's or you know bold or whatever that actually shows up in the editor as well yeah and maybe that's a um maybe that's a simple thing to increase the accessibility of a site is to make sure that there are enough constraints on the kind of client side so that um there can't be too many you know remixes um or like freestyle designing definitely that's a really really good point and that's one of the reasons that i hate a lot of wordpress is because it's those site builders and you can drag and drop stuff anywhere and you can add any piece of margin or padding or font size or color or whatever and it's just crazy it's 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 mayhem it is (laughs) yeah it is absolute mayhem (laughs) you've heard it here first um, I think another quick one on type is just making sure it's not too small. It would yep. seem obvious, but I think <laughs> I'm guilty of it too. Just like for whatever reason, a lot of we designers like to make things tiny. Yeah, what's that about? Tiny I think it, like grey on a black background. Uh, well, yeah, or like on a textured background. Oh yeah, that's a good one. I think sometimes it, it's easy to just get lost in like kind of wanting to create a, a, a piece of art. You yeah, know, yeah, so, being creative, so, right? A line of text becomes a shape, you know. <laughs> yeah. But tr- truly, working on a composition, and it's like, hold on, that's six point. <laughs> no, no one. Am I designing this for ants? <laughs> you need to have like the um, the cursor to be a, mo- uh, a magnifying glass, so you can go and read it as you move your mouse yeah. over stuff. That that's what, that's that's a cool idea. Yeah, I should make a little JavaScript class out of that. For sure. Um, one other thing, actually for a developer to think about is um, and this is something I think well at least I've never seen designers design to or design for rather or no way of actually doing it um, is mm. the tab order of inputs or controls um, right. so like when, when you're hitting tab and you're going through things in, in HTML it'll when you hit tab it'll go to the next element in the document um, flow basically but there's a HTML property that you can set which can change that order basically so you can sort of make it tab through to the the bits or parts that you want or you can make it so that when you first hit tab it goes to a certain spot instead of the top one or all kinds of stuff like that yeah well um and so that's definitely part of like the ux and how somebody's going to interact with it and what they expect to happen and where these inputs might be in relation to the design versus the actual html and trying to figure out all that kind of stuff so that's something to look into as well um and certainly, yeah. um, so that's the tab index attribute. Um, and one of the easy wins, at least, is making sure that if you want something to be the first thing that's focused on, you can set that um, as a one, I think, or is it a negative one, I forget. Um, and that'll be the first thing somebody tabs to. So a common usage for that um, is jump to content. Um, so like, you know, if you've got a heap, a bunch of stuff um, above the fold or, or something that's on like repeating pages, um, classic one is like, you know, if you go to a recipe site and you read the recipe, but actually it's the person's life story over 64 paragraphs and, and then you've got to scroll down to the bottom, you know, to actually get to the recipe. Oh, um, no. Having a jump to content It's been button. such a nice day so <laughs> far. And then you had to mention those. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so if, and if you set a tab index to that link, that href, uh, to, to the a tag, sorry, then that'll be the first thing people tab to, and they'll say, oh, cool, jump to content, and you can easily get that on a screen reader and click that, and that'll jump you down to the thing. So that's an easy win for tab index there. Cool. And and when we're talking about setting these indexes, mm-hmm. I heard you say negative one and one. 
-hmm. Is that what we set with the Z index? No, so that's a different thing. So the Z index is um, the... So if you imagine like X and Y on the page being the coordinates like up your screen and across your screen, that's the X and Y. The Z is going in and out of the page. Um, and so that's right. actually like physically moving the element in front of things or behind other elements. Um, ah. So that's what that Z index does. Whereas the tab index is all related to when you actually hit your tab key, what's the next thing that's going to be focused. Again, like we were saying, with that outline. Um, yeah. That and I, style. Cool. Because I wonder whether like... Like what happens when you land on a page and there's just a big pop-up saying like sign up for more recipes and life stories, you know, delivered to yeah, your inbox. Yeah, for sure. And, and 100%. And that's a great example where the focus should be on those inputs um, in that pop-up. But more than likely, that pop-up HTML is probably at the bottom of the DOM. And so when you hit tab, you're not going to be tabbing straight to that unless you set tab, index on, tab indexes on it. So yeah, that's a really, really good example. <laughs> I feel like we've reached a conclusion. Let's wrap it up. There you go. Yeah. Thanks so much for another uh, thought-provoking discussion. We've obviously, well, I, I certainly have a lot more to learn on this subject. But um, Yeah, I've skimmed, I've, the, skimmed the, the, what's the, what's the saying? Just simply scratch the surface. There we go. Um, but yeah, I guess why not include our audience on this learning journey? There we go. You're welcome. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, and we'll... Um, We'll talk to you next time. Ciao.